Hey yo guys, what's going on? It's me, the NBA Goal. I'm here for episode 2 of the NBA Goal podcast, and today we're going to be talking about Western Conference win total over and unders. We did Eastern Conference in episode 1, so if you didn't hear that, then go take a listen. I also wanted to talk about the rookie extensions that were signed this Monday, so let's stop wasting time and let's get it started. Jalen Brown signed four years, $114 million. We saw Buddy Heald sign four years, $86 million. We saw Domantas Sabonis sign four years, $74 million. DeJounte Murray signed four years, $68 million. And we saw Torian Prince sign two years, $29 million. Jalen Brown, clearly the most paid out of all of them. Buddy Heald, I think, is the best player out of all of them. He has a lot of incentives in his contract, such as leading the league in or being top 10 in three-point shooting, making an all-star team. So I think he has a lot of reasonable accolades in his contract that he'll be able to reach in order to get paid the most money he possibly can. Jalen Brown, I am surprised he was overpaid. They signed two guys to the rookie extension in the past 20 years, that being Kendrick Perkins and Rajon Rondo. He is the first one they've signed to a rookie extension since Rondo in 2009. I don't think Jalen Brown is fifty million worth $50 million more than DeJounte Murray is. The Buddy Heald contract interests me because Sacramento threw all that money at Harrison Barnes. And now I think as a result, because they're going to have to pay De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley in the future, that there's a big question mark of what's going to happen with Bogdan Bogdanovich this summer in restricted free agency. So we'll talk about that when we get to the Kings. Finally, there's another bet that I put in that I want to talk to you guys about. It's Chris LeVert to win Most Improved Player of the Year at plus 5000 I put 10 bucks to win 500 on it. So again, I recommend you do the same because all my ideas are phenomenal. Okay, up first we have the Los Angeles Clippers with a projected win total of 54.5. I have them going 55-27 and 27 and I have them as my number two seed in the West. I don't have them as my number two seed because of lack of talent. I just simply think because of how they're going to manage Kawhi and Paul George, how they're going to manage their load, that because of that, they won't secure the one seed. Paul George, we know he's out until November or early December. So they Clippers said he's going to miss the first 10 to 20 games of the year. Probably when he comes back, they're still going to have him on a load, load management program because his load is fucking huge. Kawhi Leonard, we saw him sit 22 games last year for load management. The Clippers said they don't anticipate sitting him as much as, or as often as that, but figure he still might probably miss 13 to 14 games a year for load management, so just with all that in consideration and how difficult and deep the West is, the Clippers are going to be the two seed rather than the one seed, despite I have them admittedly as my favorites to win the NBA championship. As I said, Last episode, I think rim protection is a lot more important than perimeter defense. While they have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Patrick Beverly, they are three of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. But this team does lack a rim protector. Montrez Harrell and Ivica Zubac both aren't phenomenal rim protectors, so I think this defense will struggle at times a little bit. I think that 
Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are the two best two-way guys in the NBA, so I love that duo together. I think they're going to be absolutely phenomenal and at times unstoppable together. And this team is really deep. As we know, they have Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, who were two of the three finalists in Sixth Man of the Year consideration last year. Lou Williams did win his third award, his third Sixth Man of the Year. And I'm interested to see how they use Landry Shamit. When they traded for him last year, Doc Rivers said he was implementing the same packages that they used when J.J. Redick was there for Landry Shamit. So he's going to really help him space the floor and keep the offense creative. So yeah, with just how deep this team is, with Jermichael Green and Mo Harkless and Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams all coming off the bench, and they have rookie Terrence Mann and rookie uh, Fiondu Cabangeli, and last year's lottery picked Jerome Robinson. They have a lot of guys and a lot of depth. So the Clippers, I am going over by half a game. Up next, I have the Utah Jazz with a projected win total of 54.5. I have them going 57-25, and and I do have them as my number one seed. I have the Utah Jazz with the best record in the NBA. Yes, you heard that correctly. The Utah Jazz are my projected best team, best record in the NBA. Um, last year they went 50 and 32, but they had a point differential of a 58 win team. So rather than looking at them as a 50 win team, I'm looking at them as a 58 win team. On top of that, they added Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovic. So that's a damn good team. Mike Conley is a damn good basketball player. We saw him stuck in the wasteland that they called the Memphis Grizzlies for the last few seasons. So people forgot how good he actually was. I think they have the best big three in the league with Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Mike Conley. And I'm interested to see how the experiment in bringing Joe Ingles off the bench is going to work. As we saw, they've been starting Royce O'Neal over Joe Ingles and bringing Joe Ingles off the bench with the second unit. He's going to be able to create for that offense. And we saw this team really struggle at times in the playoffs last year, creating offense against the Houston Rockets. So now they brought in two guys that can create, and Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovich. Two guys who can create for themselves and for their teammates. This Jazz team is going to be extremely dominant in the regular season, and then we'll see how they do in the playoffs. Up next, I have the Denver Nuggets with a projected win total of 53.5. I have them going 53-29, and and I have them as my number three seed, or my, excuse me, my number five seed in the West. Last year, they went 58-24-28, and and but they only had an expected win total of 50, so they might have overachieved a little bit. Last year, people were saying they weren't a legit number two. They were frauds, and then they got bounced in the second round to the three-seed Portland Trailblazers. I think one of the most sneaky moves of the offseason was the Nuggets acquiring Jeremy Grant for a first-round pick. No one's really talking about that, but Jeremy Grant is one of the best switch defenders in the NBA. He's going to be coming off the bench backing up Paul Millsap. He had a win show for OKC last year, 6.38, so he contributed to six point, He contributed 6.38 of the wins. And I want to see how redshirt rookie Michael Porter Jr. is going to play. We know that he missed all of his rookie year last year, and I wonder if he's in contention for rookie of the year, if everyone's going to scream and cry, not a rookie, not a rookie, like they did with Ben Simmons. This defense, they had the 11th best defense in the league last year with Jeremy Grant on board. I do expect that to improve. However, how much of a rim protector is Nikola Jokic going to be this year? We know that he struggles on defense because he's slow and he's a little fat doughboy. But Nikola Jokic is phenomenal at what he does. I'm not taking that away from him. He's an absolutely phenomenal NBA player. He was only the second uh, seven-footer in NBA history to average over seven assists per game. So he joins Walt Chamberlain territory in that aspect. I, for those reasons, have the Denver Nuggets having a decline from what they did last year, but just barely. So I do have them as my number five seed. 
Up next, I have the Houston Rockets with a projected win total of 53.5. I have them going 54-28, and 28, so I'm within a half game of that number. And I have them as my four seed in the West. Houston last year went 53-29, and 29, so I have them being a half game better. Or one game better. Last year, after the All-Star break, they had the number one offense in the league and the number two defense. While I think the offense can stay the same, I do expect the defense to digress. I'm intrigued to see how Russell Westbrook fits with this team. I think that he is going to have to defer a lot to James Harden. He's not accustomed to not having the ball in his hands. He's not a shooter, and we know that this team relies very heavily on the three-point shooting. I do see him driving to the hole often and kicking out to the three-point shooter and racking up assists that way. But it's not like he's going to come close to averaging a triple-double for the fourth straight year. This team lost Gerald Green for the season, and... They signed Ine to a very incentive-driven $10 million contract in order to use him as a human trade exception, more specifically to trade him for Andre Iguodala, but the NBA ruled that they're not allowed to do this. So Ine basically can only play nine games, otherwise he's due $10 million if he plays more than that. So I anticipate them trying to trade him. Gerald Green, I think they're going to trade Gerald Green with cash to a team with an open roster spot in order to clear a roster spot for him because he's out for the season and this team is already lacking depth. So I picture that being a move that they make. Yeah, I'm, I'm just intrigued by the James Harden and Russell Westbrook fit. I think Russell Westbrook's going to be extremely frustrated at times. I think James Harden is still going to get his. So I'm just intrigued to see how this is going to work out and how that's going to work on the defensive end as well. Okay, up next I have the Los Angeles Lakers with a projected win total of 51.5. I have them going 55-27, and 27, so I have them going way over this number. Um, last year we know they went 35-47 and 47 and really underachieved. Well, excuse me, they went 37-45 and 45 last year and really underachieved. Considering that this team waited for Kawhi Leonard to give them a decision, I think they did a phenomenal job of rebounding once he chose the Clippers. They waited till over almost half of the free agent pool was already signed to other teams before really making moves. They were still able to get Danny Green and Avery Bradley. They were still able to re-sign JaVale McGee and Rajon Rondo and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So I think they did a pretty good job given that Kawhi Leonard ultimately chose the Clippers. I think Anthony Davis is going to have an MVP type season. LeBron has already said he plans to defer to AD and he wants the offense to run through him. So I think AD is going to be the focal point of this offense. I think him and LeBron are going to run a whole bunch of pick and roll. I think AD is going to handle the ball a lot more than he previously was. I think that his defensive numbers might not be as impressive because he's not going to be playing full-time center. He's going to be playing, he stated he wants to play more at power forward rather than center. But this team's going to have a good defense. JaVale McGee's a pretty good uh, rim protector. Anthony Davis is one of the premier defenders in the NBA. We know Danny Green and Avery Bradley are two phenomenal perimeter defenders. And when LeBron gives a shit, we know he can defend too. So it's just a matter of how much of a shit LeBron gives on that end of the floor. With that said, that's the Lakers. I'm going over. I have it going over by three and a half games. Up next, I have the Portland Trailblazers at a projected win total of 46 and a half. I have them going 47 and 35. Last year, they went 53 and 29, but they lost Mo Harkless and Alfred Kaminu. That was a starting small forward and the starting power forward. They replaced them with Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood at the three. And then they're starting their last year's backup center, Zach Collins, at the four. So let's see how that experiment works. I think Zach Collins is better suited to play the five. But we're going to see how that experiment goes. 
This team also added Hassan Whiteside with Joseph Nurchik probably out until at least February. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Hassan Whiteside after Nurchik comes back if they trade his expiring contract at the trade deadline for a stretch four such as Danilo Gallinari or someone that fits that system better. But this team is very, very guard-oriented. They're going to be bringing Anthony Simons off the bench to back up Damon CJ. So that's going to be their three-guard rotation. As I said, they have Rodney Hood and Kent Bazemore, who they're more like guards than they are forwards. So even though they're wings, that's going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah, it's just intriguing to see how Portland is going to be. They're going to be trying to play small ball in an era where small ball basically ended last season with Golden State. Up next, we have the San Antonio Spurs, who have rejected a win total of 46.5. I have them going 47-35. and 35. Last year, they went 48-34, and 34, but they had a point differential of a 46-win team. I'm excited to see DeJounte Murray back. We know he just got a big extension, and he's coming off a torn ACL and still got that big extension. Honestly, if he didn't tear his ACL, he would have gotten probably closer to $100 million rather than the $68 million that he got. This team was the fifth best offense last year, but no one really knows how. They really lack shooting, and they're really going to struggle without that. They're going to bring Derek White off the bench as their sixth man just to get Bryn Forbes in the starting lineup so they have a shooter there. We know that DeJounte Murray can't shoot. We know that DeMar DeRozan's not a shooter. We know that Rudy Gay's not a shooter. We know that LaMarcus Aldridge isn't a shooter. So bringing Bryn Forbes in that starting lineup is going to help space the floor for that offense. Bringing Marco Bellinelli off the bench alongside Derek White is going to help that offense. Just in today's NBA, where shooting is so essential and the Spurs just don't have it, there's just no way they're going to get close to being a top five offense again. And then additionally, they lost Davis Bertans, and that's an additional shooter that they lost. He was expendable in the Marcus Morris signing. They went to sign Marcus Morris in order to sign him. They had to move Davis Bertans' salary, so they moved him to the Wizards. And then Marcus Morris ultimately spurned the Spurs and signed with the Knicks for more money. So it's interesting. I know Greg Popovich has never missed the playoffs, or they've made the playoffs every year since drafting Tim Duncan in 1997. So I anticipate the Spurs continuing that streak. I have them as my number eight seed in the West. Up next, I have the Dallas Mavericks at a projected win total of 40 and a half. I have them going 37-45, and I have them as my number 11 seed in the West. Last year, they went 33-49. and 49. I'm excited to see the duo of Kristaps and Luka, but for those of you who know me and talk NBA with me, I think Luka, oh, I think Kristaps is extremely overrated. I think he is a unicorn. I think he does things at his size of 7'3 that guys that are 7'3 shouldn't be able to do. However, he doesn't do a lot of things that he should be able to do. He averages six rebounds a game and for a guy who's 7-3 I understand he doesn't play the five but he should still be bringing in more than six rebounds a game um I do think Luka Doncic is Luka Doncic is absolutely phenomenal I expect him to progress further um this team even though they won 33 wins last year they had a win expectancy of 37 so maybe they underachieved a little bit last year and they were better than the record indicates but my issue with this team is, and why I couldn't put them in the playoffs, is who's the third best player? Is it DeLone Wright? Is it Seth Curry? My personal belief is it's probably Maxi Kleber. And is a team with with Maxi Kleber as the third best player really going to make the All-Star team, or really going to make the playoffs in the West? Because I don't think they can. I like DeLone Wright, I like Steph Curry, I like Maxi Kleber. I love Dorian Finney-Smith. I wanted the Sixers to get him. I wanted the Sixers to get Maxi Kleber last year at the trade deadline too. But as your third best player, I just I don't see the Mavs being able to make a push. 
with the roster as it's currently constructed. Up next, I have everyone's favorite League Pass team this year, the New Orleans Pelicans, with a projected win total of 39.5. I have them going 39-43 and and being the 9th seed in the West. This team is going to have a great defense given the collection of young talent that they have. Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday might be the best backcourt in the NBA. I'm sure Derek White and DeJounte Murray beg to differ. I'm sure Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson beg to differ. But their backcourt of Lonzo and Drew Holiday is going to be one of the best in the league. Additionally, Zion Williamson was announced he had surgery to repair a torn meniscus. So he's out six to eight weeks. So... We're not going to be seeing him probably until December. They're going to be starting J.J. Redick in his place, so they're going to be starting J.J. Redick and Brandon Ingram alongside Derek Favors. I think once Zion comes back, Brandon Ingram should go to the bench rather than J.J. Redick because this team is going to need the shooting, same thing as the Spurs. J.J. Redick helps space the floor alongside Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, who aren't great shooters. And we know Zion and Derek Favors are absolutely non-zeros on the shooting end of the floor. So starting J.J. Redick will help spread the floor. Bringing Brandon Ingram off the bench will help spread the floor. Um, Lonzo Ball has a uh, new-founded shot that he's been displaying in the preseason, so maybe he'll be able to knock down some threes. But I'm just I'm very excited to see this team. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has looked absolutely phenomenal in the summer league and the preseason. It looks like he might have jumped Josh Hart in the rotation, so... I just don't know how this team is going to be able to get minutes for everyone. They're extremely deep. This team is very exciting to watch. Um, we're going to have to wait for the Zion show a few more weeks because, as we said, he's out six to eight weeks, but the Pelicans are relieved that it wasn't anything more serious. Yes, I am one of those people who believe Zion Williamson needs to lose weight. I think with how explosive and athletic he is and the way he jumps and all that pressure he puts on his knees with how much weight he puts on them, I think it would be beneficial for him to lose 15 to 20 pounds. I'm sure people are tired of hearing that, so I'm not going to continue to talk about it, but that is my personal belief. Up next, I have the Sacramento Kings, who have a projected win total of 37.5. I have them going 38-44, and and I have them as my 10th seed in the West. Last year, they went 39-43. and This team is another team that's very, very deep. They're bringing off the bench guys like Trevor Ariza and Corey Joseph and Nemanja Bialica and Rashawn Holmes and Harry Giles and Bogdan Bogdanovich. So I don't know how they're going to be able to give all these guys minutes. I'm assuming their closing lineup is going to be something like Marvin Bagley at the 5, Harrison Barnes at the 4, Bogdan Bogdanovich at the 3, then Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox is the backcourt. That means starting center Dwayne Dedman will not be in the closing lineup. But... The Kings have a lot of options and routes that they can go. Buddy Heald, we know, just got that four-year extension. And unfortunately, as a result of that, since they need to pay De'Aaron Fox next year and Marvin Bagley the following year, I think they do have a little bit of buyer's remorse on Harrison Barnes' contract because now they see the money crunch they're in with that contract on the books. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is going to be the guy that gets squeezed in restricted free agency this summer. It's going to be hard to pay Heald and Barnes and Bogdanovich and... De'Aaron Fox, and Marvin Bagley. So I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is going to be the guy that gets screwed out of here. Up next, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have them with a projected win total of 35.5. I have them going 34-48. and 48. Last year, they went 36-46. and 46. Sooner rather than later, I expect Carl Anthony Towns to be the next AD. I expect him to be like that SpongeBob meme that says, I'm a head out. 
when he's frustrated with they keep losing and not being able to make the playoffs. I think Minnesota is going to have to change that around quick or Cat is going to be out. Last year, Robert Covington only played 22 games for them after being traded from the Sixers. Robert Covington is the second best player on this team, and we know he's one of the premier top five or top ten defenders in the NBA. So I think he's going to improve this team greatly. Aside from those two, who else do they have? I mean, Jeff Teague isn't Jeff Teague anymore. Andrew Wiggins is old. Yeah, they have guys like Gorgie Dang. I mean, they just, they don't have... Jake Lehman's probably going to be starting for them. Josh Okogie had a good rookie year, so I anticipate him doing well. But I just, I don't see this team... I like Jared Culver, but this team just doesn't have what it takes to compete in the West. Apparently, they had a suitor to trade for Andrew Wiggins when D'Angelo Russell was visiting there. And then when D'Angelo Russell ultimately ultimately signed with Golden State, they ended up they ended up not trading Wiggins because D'Angelo Russell spurned them. But quite frankly, I think they should have did that trade anyway. I don't know who really wanted to take on Andrew Wiggins that kind of contract. It was probably the dumb fucking Suns. Okay, up next we have the Golden State Warriors, who I've skipped and I had them with the bottom of the barrel teams by accident, so I apologize for that. They have a projected win total of forty seven and a half. I have them going 48 and 34. Last year they went 57 and 25. And this team is going to be as good as Steph Curry is. Steph Curry, in the last three seasons, with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson not on the floor per 36 minutes, has averaged 41 points, 45.2 points, and 37.5 points. So, Stafford wouldn't shock me if he led the league in scoring this year. Those numbers are clearly impressive. He's averaging over a point per minute with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson both not on the floor. Obviously, that number doesn't incorporate D'Angelo Russell being there. Um, We know that Klay Thompson is going to be out for the season. The Warriors have a lot of things I worry about. First of all, Draymond Green. He's the best switch defender in the NBA. And the Warriors, because of their lack of talent now, they don't have a lot of switch defenders, a lot of guys that can play that type of defense. So Draymond's not going to be able to switch as much because no one else on the team can do it. So Draymond is probably going to have to play man. And while he's still a phenomenal man defender as well, you're taking away what Draymond does best. Additionally, this team has the least amount of depth in the NBA. I mean, they have fucking no one. The the bench is going to be Willie Cauley-Stein at the back of five. And then after that, I mean... Jordan Poole, Eric Pascal, Alan Smilich, that's three rookies. Jacob Evans, who's a sophomore. Alec Burks. I mean, this team is just, they really, really aren't deep. And as I said with my Wizards preview on episode one, the Wizards and the Warriors, their small forward positions are the two worst in the NBA. The Warriors were starting Alfonso McKinney at the small forward spot, and then they had to cut him in order to keep Marquise Chris. So they have Marquise Chris now as a backup big man, but the new starting small forward they announced is Glenn Robinson III. So that's going to be ugly for the Warriors. Marquise Chris, as we know, he's only 22 years old. He's younger than one of the rookies in Eric Pascal. So I'm interested to see what this Warriors are going to do. They're trying to I guess rebuild on the fly around Draymond and Steph and Clay, but I don't see D'Angelo Russell sticking around for long. I think he's going to be a rental there. I think he's going to probably be moved 
maybe not by the trade deadline, but definitely by the summer once Clay Thompson is fully recovered from his ACL injury. I could picture a team like Minnesota trading for D'Angelo Russell. That was a team he was originally going to sign with before signing with Golden State in the signing trade. So I could picture Minnesota doing something if it would be in this season be something like Jeff Teague and Robert Covington for D'Angelo Russell. Robert Covington would be phenomenal for that defense there. Him and Draymond would be tenacious defensively. Yeah, that's just a trade idea that I have, but this team, after losing Andre Iguodala and losing Sean Livingston and losing Kevin Durant and obviously Clay Thompson's out for the year, they just they have such a little depth. I don't know how they're going to figure it out, but I have faith in Bob Myers. I think this team is phenomenal, and I think they will ultimately figure it out somehow. Okay, up next I have the Oklahoma City Thunder with a projected win total of 32.5. I have them going 35-47. and 47. Last year we know they went 49-33, and 33, but since they've lost Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari are both all-stars in this league. It's just a matter of how much, how healthy both of them are going to be. Chris Paul in the last three seasons missed 20 or more games three straight years. Danilo Gallinari has played in 63 or less games in seven of his 10-year career. So I can't picture both of these guys staying healthy. I anticipate them both missing at least 20 games. And with that said, are both of these guys going to end up being on the team at the end of the year? I can picture scenarios where they both get traded. Danilo Gallinari, I said I could see him getting traded to a team like Portland. Chris Paul, I could see him getting traded to Miami. I could see Chris Paul getting traded to Milwaukee. I could see Chris Paul getting traded to Minnesota. I mean, I see Chris Paul going to Miami for expiring contracts and Goran Dragic and Kelly Olenek just to get off his contract. I see him going to Minnesota for Jeff Teague and salary filler. I see him going to Milwaukee for Eric Bledsoe in a pick, maybe. I mean, there's just a lot of... People say his contract's untradeable, but there's a lot of bad contracts out there and... Chris Paul, if you look at his numbers without James Harden last year when they were staggered together, Chris Paul's numbers were significantly better than they were when James Harden was on the floor with him. So they showed that when he was staggered. Additionally, with the Warriors, I forgot to mention, I anticipate the Warriors staggering D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry, but that shouldn't be news to anyone. So yeah, I do think Chris Paul is still Chris Paul. He's probably not the defender he used to be, but he's still one of the premier point guards in the NBA. So I do think he's going to be able to show why a team should want to trade for him this season. Okay, up next I have the Phoenix Suns who have, who have a projected win total of 28.5. I have them going 26-56. and 56. I have them as my 14th seed in the West. Last year they went 19-63. and 63. This team is just completely incompetent. Everything they do is just wrong. At the draft last year, they traded a second-round pick to get off of T.J. Warren in order to make room for D'Angelo Russell. T.J. Warren's not on a bad contract. He probably has value on his contract. He's probably making less than he should be, so they shouldn't have had to give away a pick in order to move him, but they did. And then that same night, after making enough room for a max caps slot, they then took on Aaron Baines' contract, so that took them back out of the D'Angelo Russell signing so i don't know what the fuck they were doing because that happened in the same day and then they traded they had the fifth pick traded down to the 11th pick in order to get dario saric i don't think dario saric is worth moving from jared culver to cam johnson cam johnson by the way was projected around 24 25 in the draft and the dumb fucking sons took him at 11 
So yes, this is why I think this is the team that was going to trade for Andrew Wiggins and his bad contract. Yeah, it's just, it's the dumb fucking Suns. Everything they do is wrong. Um, Speaking of Andrew Wiggins, that's another guy I could see getting flipped for Chris Paul. Maybe OKC will think that they have um a reclamation project on their hands and they think that they could, there's untapped potential there, who knows. But the Suns finally have a competent point guard. That's mostly why I have them going from 19 wins to 26 wins. I just want to quickly read off who they had at starting point guards last year and how many games. They had DeAnthony Melton, 31 games started a point guard. DeAnthony Melton, I think he's the next Tony Allen. I think he's going to play that role for the Grizzlies this year after being traded from the Suns to the Grizzlies. But as a rookie last year, he clearly wasn't ready to start. Elia Kobo started 16 games for them last year at point guard. Elia Kobo is another one. I had him as a borderline lottery pick in last year's draft. Isaiah Cannon started 15 games for them in point guard. He's out of the league currently, so he's not even on an NBA team. And then Tyler Johnson started 12 games for them, and Devin Poker started 8 games for them in point guard. So Ricky Rubio now is going to be the starting point guard. So just by having a competent starting point guard, we know that's what Ricky Rubio is. They should be able to improve by 7 games just based off of that. Okay, then finally we have the Memphis Grizzlies, who are my personal favorite league pass team. And aside from the Sixers, probably my favorite team in the league this year. I love Jaron Jackson Jr. I love John Morant. I love Brandon Clark. And I love Grayson Allen. Um, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. as the next AD. I have John Morant as the next Russell Westbrook. So that could be a lethal uh, combo they have going forward. I do believe in Grayson Allen. I do think he's going to be a competent starting shooting guard in the NBA. This team last year went 33-49, and 49, but I do anticipate it being much worse now that they do not have Mike Conley and they had Marcus off for half the year last year. Um, this team's currently wasting two roster spots on Andre Iguodala and Josh Jackson. They told Andre Iguodala, okay, stay home. We're going to try to trade you. We're not going to buy you out. We think we could get value out of you. The only team I see trading for Iguodala is the Clippers, and that would be a trade involving Mel Harkless, and if the Clippers wanted to do that, they would have done it by now. So I do think Iggy ultimately ends up getting bought out by the Grizzlies. Josh Jackson, they said, yo bro, you're a fucking bust, stay home, you're gonna go to the G League, so... And then they declined his fourth-year option, so they clearly don't have much faith in Josh Jackson. Yeah, Brandon Clark won Summer League MVP, so... I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with the big man rotation of Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, and Brandon Clark. When Jonas Valanciunas was traded there last year on the Marcus All trade, he averaged 20 and 10 for them. So I anticipate him being the starting center. I guess Brandon Clark is going to take all those backup big minutes. And I'm hoping Grayson Allen wins the shooting guard battle over Dolan Brooks and is named the opening day starting shooting guard because... I do believe in Grayson Allen. Okay, with that said, I am going to move on to my playoff predictions. And I have the number one seed Jazz over the Spurs in five. The number two seed Clippers over the Trailblazers in five. The number three seed Lakers over the number six seed Warriors in six. And the number four seed Rockets over the number five seed Nuggets in seven. I then have the number one seed Jazz over the Rockets in six. And the number two seed Clippers over the Lakers in seven. And then I have the Clippers over the Jazz in six. My NBA Finals, I have the Clippers versus the Philadelphia 76ers. And I have the Los Angeles Clippers winning in six. For my Western Conference All-Stars, as I said, the starters are two backcourt and three frontcourts. And then the bench is two backcourt, three frontcourt, and two wildcards. I have Steph Curry and James Harden as the two backcourt guys, but that's who it always is. My three frontcourt guys I have is Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. 
And then my two guards off the bench, I have Damian Lillard and first-time All-Star Donovan Mitchell. I think the Jazz are going to have the number one seed in the West. And if that comes to fruition, I do hope Mike Conley gets his recognition and he makes his first All-Star team. He's still the best player to never make an All-Star team. My three frontcourt guys, I have three centers and Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, and Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert, first-time All-Star as well. Hopefully he doesn't cry, wah, 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 like a little baby again if he doesn't make it. And then my two wild cards, I have De'Aaron Fox and Luka Doncic, two more first-year All-Stars. So in total, I have eight first-time All-Stars. My snubs in the West, I have Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Paul George, we know he's going to miss the first 10 to 20 games, so I don't think he plays enough games in order to garner All-Star consideration. And then Russell Westbrook, he almost didn't make the All-Star team this year, and he averaged a triple-double because of how low his shooting percentages were. I think his stats are going to be down significantly playing alongside James Harden, and I don't know how much better his shooting percentages are going to be. With that said, I'm going to get into my all-NBA team predictions. I have my guards being Steph Curry and James Harden, my forwards being Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis, and my center being Joel Embiid. My second team, I have Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard as the guards, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James as the forwards, and Nikola Jokic as the center. And then my third team, I have Ben Simmons and Mike Conley making the third team. I have Mike Conley making the third team over Donovan Mitchell. And then my forwards being Pascal Siakam and Paul George, and then my center being Rudy Gobert. Paul George, I said he won't play enough games to make the All-Star team. That's because the All-Star team is halfway through the season. If you look at the full season and figure Paul George plays 60 games, then I think that is enough for him to get onto the All-NBA third team. For my rookie team, I have obviously the top three picks of Zion, John Morant, and RJ Barrett. I think that all three of them are going to have the ball in their hand most of the time. They're all going to play significant minutes, so all three of them are locks to make the All-Rookie first team. My next guy on the All-Rookie first team, I have Tyler Harrow. He looks like he's going to be the Heat's opening night starting shooting guard. And he looks a lot like Devin Booker looked like his rookie year. So I have him in the all-rookie first team. And then my final guy, I had Brandon Clark, who won Summer League MVP. He's going to be a springy big man coming off the bench for the Grizzlies. And I think he's going to be the only big coming off to back up both Jonas Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson. So he should get enough minutes to make the all-rookie first team. My all-rookie second team, I have redshirt Michael Porter Jr. Even though blah, 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 he's not a rookie. He redshirted a year. But I have him. Then I have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's looked absolutely phenomenal in summer league and preseason. I think the Pelicans are going to have to make minutes for him. And then my next three guys are Darius Garland, Kobe White, and DeAndre Hunter. All three guys who should be not starting, but playing significant minutes for their team. The Hawks named DeAndre Hunter as the opening night small forward. Kobe White will be probably the Bulls' 6th or 7th man. And Darius Garland, I can't picture Brandon Knight starting over him for much longer. And then... My all-defensive team. My guards, I have Josh Richardson and Drew Holiday as the guards. My forwards, I have Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard. And then my center, I have is Miles Turner. Miles Turner, as I talked about last episode, I think he's going to keep the Pacers afloat. I think he's going to be the best player until Victor Oladipo comes back. So I think he is going to garner significant consideration for all these awards. This year, my second team, I have Patrick Beverly and Lonzo Ball. So I have both Pelicans guards making an all defensive team. My second team, I have Robert Covington, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Rudy Gobert. Last year, Miles Turner got screwed because Gobert and Embiid made it over him. 
This year, I think Embiid gets screwed because I have Miles Turner and Gobert making it over him. For my MVP, I have Anthony Davis. For my sixth man of the year, you guys know the bet I put in. I'm sticking with Bogdan Bogdanovich. My defensive player of the year, I'm going with Miles Turner. I think he's going to be that good with Victor Oladipo out. And I really think he's going to keep the Pacers team afloat. And then my most improved player, you guys know the bet I put in for that one. I put in Chris LeVert, so I'm going to go with him. And then my coach of the year is newly extended Quinn Snyder, who was just extended by the Utah Jazz. I do have the Jazz with the best record in the NBA, so I do think Quinn Snyder will get that recognition. And then my rookie of the year, despite missing the first six to eight weeks of the season, I'm still going with Zion. We saw guys like Brandon Roy still win rookie of the year after playing in only 57 games. So I do believe Zion will still win the award. I think it will be close between him and John Morant, but I do think Zion will ultimately win it. So with that said, that concludes episode two, the Western Conference over and under win totals. I'm going to pick a day that I'm going to be consistently releasing content for you guys. I haven't determined what day that's going to be yet, but thanks for listening to the first two episodes. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBAGLE, N-B-A-G-E-L-L. Yeah, I can't wait for episode three with you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.